I need your help in finishing off this sentence. When God closes one door, He he opens up another. Or I've heard it said, and I don't understand this one, when God closes a door, He opens a window. I've heard that one said and said, which I don't understand, because the only time we open a window in our house is if somebody burnt something, if somebody took off their smelly stickers, or if, well, something else involving a smell happened, then we need to air out the room. All right? Uh, so, so how many of you agree with this statement, though? When God opens a door, he, uh, or when God closes a door, he opens another. How many of you agree with that? Okay, okay. Um, I don't. <laughs> Hate to be a, a killer of all good news, but I don't. And it's not that I disagree with it as much as I think it's a half-truth. And I think that half-truths can be greatly discouraging towards us and deceiving as well. Now, if you, let me please be clear, if you have some cool wall art that says when God closes one door, he opens another, I don't expect you to go home, take it off the wall, open the window and throw it out. I don't expect you to put it in the pile for the rummage sale next spring or anything like that. But, but here's my problem. When we talk about God closing one door and opening another, we assume that it happens at a one-to-one ratio. My experience has been more like a 10 to 1 ratio, that it seems like God closes 10 doors for every one that he opens. And I'm worried that we would be discouraged if we just assume that, oh, well, God closed that door, he's going to open another right away. The reality is, is that in the Bible, we see that God operates, at least in this passage, at a two-to-one ratio in this instance of two closed doors for every one. And there was a lot of walking in between where we're going to look at in Acts 16. But I'll be honest with you, in my experience, I had a lot more shut doors relationally (laughs) than before I found Kristen, who was the one door that God opened. Um, I've had it happen in ministry opportunities where I thought he was leading And I know that I've shared with you the story, and if you've been with us for a while, you have heard the story of how we came to East Point, and I've shared with you uh, the glamorized version of the story, the last few months of the story, but I haven't shared with you the full bit of the journey. The reality is, is that we came to East Point through a lot of closed doors, and then finally one open door. And I'm talking probably 20 closed doors in this instance. It all started back in 2019, where we had been, we'd planted a church in Omaha back in 2015, and we felt that it was time for us to turn it over to a new pastor. We believed that we'd done everything that we could, uh, and that it was time for somebody else to take up the lead. And, and God provided that person, but as we were working towards it, uh, it started off that um, one, of my, one of my really good pastor friends, he was an African-American, a pastor who was doing work in the inner city, and he came to me, and he said, hey, why don't we merge our two churches and have two campuses, one in the inner city and one in the suburbs? And I'll preach at one, you'll preach at the other, but we'll rotate each week so that we both have exposure so we can bring people together from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. Wouldn't that be great? And we said, yeah, that would be great. And so my friend Meyer and I, we started going down this road in Um, As we were exploring it, we thought, man, this was before anything happened in 2020 or anything like that. This was just like two people who felt like we were we were on something with God. And and, and as as we went down the road, finally, we got to a point of laying out a plan. And as we laid out the plan, it was clear to us 
that we needed to take about 18 months if we were going to make that transition work. And I, I just said, Myron, I said, I want this to work, but 18 months doesn't work for us. And it was just, just like that, that it felt like that door closed. We're still good friends. Both churches are doing well. But it wasn't for us. It was a shut door. And then it happened. My dream church opened up. The church that I told Kristen, if this church ever opens up, I'm applying. Problem was, is they had had a pastor for 21 years, so I didn't think it'd be anytime soon. But right in the middle, while we were praying and seeking out God's will, it opened up. It was fairly close to home, but not too close. Some of y'all know what that means. It was right where we wanted to be at. Um, it was a good-sized church, good-sized community. Um, everything lined up well with it. They had similar doctrinal stances, things that they wanted mattered. And like people who knew both uh, the church and who knew us, like, oh, Dustin, like, this would be such a good fit for you. You've got to apply. You've got to check it out. And I, so I actually waited nine months before I ever applied for it. I said, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to kind of see what happens here because I know they're going to be really picky so I want my name to come in at just the right time, right when they're running out of candidates. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I talked to the search consultant. He's like, oh, man, like we were running out of candidates, and yours came up, and yours looks perfect. You look like a great fit for this church. They're going to love your resume and everything else. And so, yeah, we send them all the stuff, and we wait. And Oh, well, our meeting got canceled. It got bumped back. Oh, it got bumped back again. And we're waiting. And the whole while we're waiting, we're moving in in our heads. We found Kristen what could have been a good job there. Uh, we, we were looking at houses. We were looking at houses for my in-laws because they were with us, too, you know, online. And, and you know, we, were just, we just moved in in our heads. And then, like, I get, like, I don't even get a phone call. I got an email back. And they're like, uh, sorry, but we just don't think you're quite what we're looking for. Bam. Not just a closed door. It felt like a broken nose because I was already standing inside the door ready to walk through it, and it got slammed in my face. And then the door opened for me to go teach in 2019 at Nebraska Christian College. This was a great opportunity, and I was, man, I didn't anticipate myself doing this, but man, I loved working with the students, and seeing the fruit of, of that was, was just so clear, but after just eight months, that door closed, like, literally, like, the college shut down permanently, like, I, I don't have keys, the keys don't work there at that building anymore, because it's not a college anymore. Closed door number three. Keep in mind, I'm keeping it short here. It felt like there were about 20 shut doors total in this journey. And you know how the story ended and how thankful we are to be here. But, but I want to share those stories with you today because a lot of you aren't at the go yet. A lot of you have been still in that no phase where you've been hearing no, 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 no. And what I want to tell you is that in this place where you're in between the no and the go, is that I believe is a time where God shows some of His faithfulness in the strongest ways. God will show you His faithfulness between the no and the go. You can trust God from no to go. And so as we look at this passage today, where Paul gets the door shut on him, the Apostle Paul, 
This is Paul here. This is like, you know, things happen, like all the great things that we see happen. And for whatever reason, Luke chooses to include this story in Acts, the 16th chapter of the times the doors were shut in their face. Like of all the things that Luke had to choose between including and not including, he chooses to include this. And I think he chose to include this for multiple reasons. But one of those is because he wants us to be encouraged when we encounter closed doors in our lives. When we want to go through those doors and yet they shut and then they shut again and then they shut again and then they shut again and we just feel like, man, what are we supposed to be doing here? We're on mission for God. We want to serve God. We've been praying about this. How come the doors aren't opening or staying open? What is wrong? Are we doing something wrong? I think this text is for you if you've ever felt this way. Maybe like, I haven't felt that way yet. Well, maybe this text is in preparation for something you're going to encounter too. So let's go ahead and dive in here. You can trust God from no to go. And Acts 16, starting in verse 6, what we see here, we got a map up here of the journey. I, this, let me put on my professor hat real quick. This is Paul's second missionary journey. If you've got maps in your Bibles, you can look these up. But what you see here is you see these lines up here that keep going up. But you see that area called Mysia up there. Um, and, and like this whole area south where the arrows go around, that's where Paul wanted to go. It was logically next. It was right there. They didn't have planes, trains, or automobiles. They were hoofing it. They were walking from city to city. This is several hundred miles right here. And yet God says no. They had young Timothy with them. Young Timothy was a newer apostle, we're going to talk about, or newer disciple. Uh, he was someone who was being trained by Paul himself, and he was brand new to the game. Literally, they circumcised him like a few weeks before this journey so that he could go on the journey and reach Jewish people. And so here we go in Acts 16, verse 6. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia, which I'm going to butcher these names, you just need to know that. If you name your kid Phrygia, I'm really sorry, I'm going to butcher it too, all right? They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wait a second. I thought the Holy Spirit was supposed to empower us to speak. And yet here we see that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. No explanation. No why. No rhyme or reason. Just they were forbidden. Let's continue on. Verse 7, when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Luke even makes up different words here, different phrases. We normally talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, but here he talks about the Spirit of Jesus. This isn't some other spirit, but, Paul, but Luke is using this language to get our attention. The same Spirit that is in Jesus Christ, the same Spirit that wants all people to be saved, says, no, you can't go there. Why? No answer. No answer. So what do we do? How do we trust God from no to go when we don't even know what's going on here? Well, first, I want to suggest to you today that you need to trust that God's no's are for your good. God's no's are for your good. I have a friend named David Upchurch, which is a great name for a pastor, isn't it? Upchurch. He's 20 years my senior like almost to the day, 20 years my senior. And so I've always trusted in him for phone calls when I'm going through tough stuff. And, and Dave, he, he has this classic line that he always tells me. 
He, he says, whenever, I, whenever I'm frustrated with something, something's not going right, he just says, Dustin, you're never going to know what God is protecting you from. But you've got to believe that by this not happening, God is choosing to protect you from something. And, and it's so annoying to hear at the time, isn't it? But man, it is so important to remind ourselves. Trust that God's no's are for your good. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to work through you. Maybe he's protecting you from something. Maybe he's protecting you from a sickness. Maybe he's protecting you from unnecessary opposition. Maybe he's protecting you from something that you're not yet ready to handle. Trust that God's no's are for your good and that you just have to trust him. You will never know what he was protecting you from. And that's okay. Secondly, trust that God's no's are about punishment, are not about punishment, but instead are about preparation. You see, what happened here, uh, last week we talked about that whole passage where the whole church came together. But immediately after they came together, we see that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas meaning the son of encouragement, they get into this huge squabble about where they're going to go next. And they wind up, they wind up multiplying and they both go out with more disciples. So it winds up being a good thing, right? But at the same time, what we see is this, this squabble that happens. And, and I got to think that in the back of my mind, like that's still got to be eaten at Paul a bit. That his buddy, Barnabas, the one who brought him up literally from like the day of his salvation onward and poured so much into him, they butted heads. And now Paul's having all this problem moving forward with his new disciples. And, and, and I wonder, I just wonder if Paul had those thoughts in his mind. Am I being punished for not seeing eye to eye with Barnabas? And I wonder those thoughts because that's exactly what I'd be thinking. Are there times where God punishes us, where we receive um, where we receive the, the, the just punishment for our sins? Well, not, not in full, because Jesus has taken the just punishment for our sins. Are there times where there are consequences of our sins? Yeah, yeah absolutely there are. But at the same time, even if God is, is punishing you, you need to know that God is, God is punishing you to restore you. God's, God's justice and, and what we ever encounter with it is seeking to restore us. And so even if you've got some guilt in the game here, I want you to know that God is even doing that to prepare you for what is next, to grow you. Trust that God's no's are not about punishment, but about preparation. And I know we felt like, man, how come these doors aren't opening up? Is it something we're doing wrong? And yet through that whole time, God was doing a, a marinating work in us. And I think that's part of the problem is that we want God's microwave instead of God's barbecue. And, and, and let me, Ed, Ed, I heard you there. Let me, let, me just, let me just say, microwave food is never as good as slow-cooked barbecue, right? Can, 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 can I get an amen now? Are, are we preaching now, right? Like you cannot, like even if you take like your, your, your marinated, your, you know, your slow-cooked ribs and try to reheat them in the microwave, it's not the same, is it? That tenderness is, is gone. It's got to be fresh. And what, what I'm telling you is that God's slow cooking is, is what it takes for us to become like Jesus. You cannot microwave yourself to become like the Messiah, 
It is a slow-cooked effort. And God is preparing you, and He prepares you through the shut doors even more so than He does through the open doors. He prepares you through the no so that you are ready when He says go. Number three is trust that God's no will help you to grow. Timothy had just joined Paul as a young disciple, and he is going to learn best through these hardships, not through when things go right. Trust that God's no's will help you to grow. In verse 8, it continues on. Passing by Mysia, then they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with them. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here we see this Macedonian man, this vision. We don't know how he knew he was from Macedonia, except that he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And, well, Paul heard it. And they concluded that this was the door that was open to them. And do you know what happened as a result of this? The first city they went to is Philippi. You ever read a book in your Bible called Philippians? Yeah, that was written to that church that Paul started. But when they went over there, they ended up getting thrown in prison pretty quickly. They met Lydia, who helped them out initially, and then, then they got an escape from prison. But rather than escaping, they, like, the jailer was ready to take his life because they thought they got away. And Paul's like, no, we're still here. They stayed, and then the jailer and his whole family came to Christ. Those were some of the first Christians they ran, that, 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 the first converts to Christianity in Philippi. After that, they went over to Thessalonica. Have you ever heard the books in the Bible, First and Second Thessalonians? Yeah, that happened as a result of this. Then he went down to Athens, famous speech in Acts 17, which is great. That happened there. And then he went over to this place called Corinth. You ever read First and Second Corinthians in the Bible? Yeah, that, that's five books. That's five books that have endured for 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years. Why? It all started with shut doors. It all started with the door being slammed in their face. Twice. It all started when God said no before he said go. I'm thankful for those five letters that we have in Scripture today. We wouldn't have them if God would have just let them go wherever they wanted to go. So these amazing things happen in Philippi when they go there. We're going to talk about them next Sunday. But in, basically, they had this amazing conversion, followed by Paul and Silas getting thrown in jail and beaten, and they're singing hymns in, in prison and everything else. And um, Here's what I want to tell you about this, uh, is that whenever you face all these no's and then you get a go, you are going to be way more convinced of that go when you finally hear it. And you need to trust that God's no's will help you be more convinced of your calling. God's calling will be more assured when you finally hear the go. There's this passage in Romans 8, 28, and then 31 and 32. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. That's, that's us. Who are called according to his, own, his purpose. That's us. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And as we start to wrap up today, let me give you two questions. First, are you ready for a no? If the next response you get from God is no, are you ready for it? Are you prepared to say, okay, 
God, I know you're faithful. While I want you to do this, I understand that you have more knowledge than me. That you have more love than me. That you have more power than me. And you wouldn't say no unless it was for a good reason. Second, are you ready for God to say go? Because what happens is immediately, they were on the next boat out of Troas when it happened. And on the way to Philippi. Are you ready to immediately step through that door when God says go? Are you ready to take the step of faith? Are you living your life now so that you have those disciplines in place for when he does say go? Are you ready for a no? Are you ready for a go? A lot of you have met my in-laws. They have uh, followed us here uh, to Columbus and are loving it. They also followed us to Omaha. Uh, after 45 years of marriage in the same place uh, in a small farm town, and after retiring from farming, they decided to move to the large metropolis of Omaha. Here's how it happened. We had joked about it. We had teased about it. We never thought it would actually happen. Uh, then I was on a walk one day, and two doors down from us, this house came up for sale. And I started talking to the owner of the house about it. He's like, yeah, we're asking about 40 grand too much money for it. We'd take this much if somebody offered it to us. And I just took down this little mental note. <laughs> uh, then a few weeks later, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were out visiting. And my father-in-law went out on a walk, which he doesn't really do all that often. Well, he walked two doors down. Forget a realtor. He, this is how farmers do it. Went and knocked on their door. Hey, can I see your house? <laughs> The guy who was selling it was kind of cut from the same cloth. Sure, come on in. He said while he was in the house, old crusty farmer Steve felt like God said to him, you need to make the move. So he did. And they got the house for about 2000 less than I heard the guy say he'd take for it. I don't know if that's called insider trading or not, but it worked for us. And they moved in with the intention of spending all their time with the grandkids because that's what you do. <laughs> we're thankful for the babysitters that were built in two doors down. But about six months after they moved in, actually it was only about five months after they moved in, my mother-in-law, Ann, went to a routine dentist appointment where they did an oral screening for cancer, among everything else. And it was during that oral screening for cancer that they noticed something that was not good. Immediately, they called a specialist in town, which happened to be right next to the church where I was serving at. Literally, like, shared a parking lot with our church. Went in there, and they said, why don't you come back with your family next time? And they told us that she had a very invasive and fast-growing form of cancer on the roof of her mouth. We immediately went to Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota, where it was found out that she was going to have to have an, an extremely invasive surgery in order to remove the cancer and then in order to, re to repair, repair where the cancer was at by taking grafting parts from different body parts. and It was, it was a Mayo Clinic kind of deal. And then after that, she would have to have several months of radiation followed up by that. Now imagine that would have happened when she was seven hours apart from her daughter who was in the medical profession. 
And she would have had to make all those decisions via phone call. She would have had to make all those decisions without someone right there walking with her, guiding her. Imagine she would have had to come home without anyone but Steve there, which he would have done his best, but there's nothing like a daughter to help take care of her and nurse her back from health and to make the, the hundreds upon hundreds of decisions that we had to make in that several month span. Imagine all that would have happened. Would they have gotten through it as well? No. There was a reason why God said yes. There was a reason why God said go to them. And while we don't know all the reasons why, and there were a lot more reasons than that, part of them was just to love on our beautiful kids. There's no question about that. But a huge part of it was to help save her life. A huge part of it was so that she can be living a very functional and normal life now, which would not have happened if it would have happened. I mean, we're talking even weeks later would have made a drastic difference in her care and treatment. And the only thing I can figure out is that, is that God loves my mother-in-law. God loves my father-in-law, and that's why he called them on that journey. And you know what else I'm convinced of? Is that he loves you, too. He loves me. He, leaves, he loves us. And if he's leading you on a journey, it's out of his love for you. It's because he wants you not only to go on this journey, not only to this destination, but he wants you to go on this journey of discovery. And even if it feels like you're walking several hundred miles out of the way like Paul did, I'm telling you, it'll be worth it. Even if you don't understand in this lifetime why, it will be worth it. When Christ returns, when we are resurrected, when we receive our new imperishable bodies, when heaven and earth are made one, when all of creation is made new, I'm telling you, we will have this moment. Oh, yeah. It was all worth it. Because God's faithful when he says go. But he's also faithful when he says no and for everything that falls between us. And the only thing I have to ask you today is this. Will you trust God? Will you trust the one who was faithful to send, not an angel, but the one who was faithful to send his one and only son? If he loves you this much, don't you think he's going to provide for you in every other way as well? You can trust him. I promise you. You can trust him. Father, thank you. Thank you that you included this story about, about, uh, about Luke and uh, about Paul and about Barnabas and the squabbles they had and about Timothy joining them. But Lord, just thank you that you sent these guys on a journey. Thank you that this story is included for us, those of us who feel like we're wandering, when, those of us who feels like, what are we more like the Israelites than the church? And here we see them wandering around out in the wilderness, it seems like too, but it's for a different reason. God, we trust you. You are trustworthy. 
And we declare that today. Help us, Lord, when we face the no's. Help us to endure. Help us to persevere. Help us to trust you. And Lord, may we immediately step through the doors when you say go. May we respond with a sense of urgency because we know that you are faithful to send us with your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.